1: For over a year, BuzzFeed News reporters Anthony Cormier and Jason Leopold had been reporting on President Trump and his campaign's ties to Russia, breaking major stories and trying to follow the money.
2: We had both been fantasizing about this mother load. I just remember Anthony was like, oh my God, oh my God.
1: They'd received thousands of secret government documents that revealed that banks all over the world had moved money for terrorists and criminals and drug dealers. And the U.S. government knows about it. We see actual
0: human beings pulling the levers that allow this sort of criminal
1: misconduct to go on. I'm Azine Gureshi. Join me for our new podcast, Suspicious Activity, Inside the FinCent Files. We'll dive into the story these secret documents tell and take you behind the scenes with my colleagues at BuzzFeed News as they reported it.
0: I've never seen anything like it in my life.
1: Find it on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows.
0: For fatness to meet fitness. Hold on to your butt. The common man and the thinking man.
2: They were so convincing in their argument, they swung me.
0: The avocado and the great bravado. I want it. It's everything. Nick Wilson and Josh Parcell.
2: I assume you know who we are. Are (laughs) Wilson and Parcell. Charlotte, welcome into Wilson and Parcel. I am Nick Wilson. He is Josh Parcel, Hacksaw across the board. What's up, Joshie? What is up? How Happy Tuesday. Good morning. I, I am. I'm a little too amped up. So this could be the quickest we do a five hour show uh, of all the five hour shows. Let's we've get done. it over with. Let's go home. So I just there was some so point today. Great Kenny Smith. There was some point today where I hit the third cup of coffee and said to hell with it. Let's keep going. So how many? coffees did you drink we're on five now (laughs) that that seems unhealthy you know you probably are on the right side of history on this one but on my side it just felt right today day two of uh of remote learning for the kids uh day two of waking up at six as opposed to seven and uh we're just gonna go until we crash that, that's where I'm going for, for the coffee set of things.
0: All right. You got five hours. Let's set the clock. See how and, long
2: you last in five minutes when I'm asleep uh, on the table here. Just go ahead and you know resume the show as normal. Do not leave me with hacksaw.
0: Dad, dad just don't do that.
2: Yeah, I, that would you be. You
0: got to make it till seven, please. i give. Okay. He's already worked a couple extra hours today. He's probably cranky. I just yeah, don't, I don't leave me with. Josh. Yeah, He's I just, just, it's not yeah, gonna just. Well,
2: he, he can't be on this level.
0: Well, okay, hold on. Wait, what does that mean?
2: Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were here. Oh. Yeah. Okay. You're uh, no, yeah, no don't, don't do the Chris McLean say something third big. Grade and then re- back off. Third grade not reading not level. <laughs> uh, no. You know what? Oh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to use the I word. You idiot. Anyway, <laughs> second off. No, Wait. Was that your point?
0: Yeah. No. He's on my level. Just calling him an idiot. No, he's just.
2: He's not on my level. He's too like you know. He's not loosey Goosey enough. He's just too like straightforward. <laughs> I've got takes. This is, uh, oh, this is how, oh, here I mean, we go. There's just no, like, fun, man. I'm too, there's, what you, no fun. <laughs> there's
0: no fun. There's no fun. What you're saying is I'm too intelligent for you. That's your problem <laughs> is that I'm just – I mean,
2: if that's what you want to be, but you have no fun. Yeah. But okay, that's <laughs> what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I see how it is. I'd like to point out that I am about as high as you can be on caffeine, and I'm the most sane person in this room right now. How am I insane? What did I do? You you lured him into some sort of uh, a debate there. You did. Somehow this is your fault. (laughs) If I could debate Hacksaw for five hours every day, people would think I'm the smartest man on earth. That is uh, – you know what? Uh, One more coffee, and that just might be the show. In the meantime, we did have something break uh, in the second half of yesterday's show, and it's been interesting to see the reaction to it, that on Monday, North Carolina announced all uh, undergraduate courses would be moving online after various clusters of... Uh, coronavirus infection started occurring, uh, pretty big, uh, substantial spikes for that. And it's interesting how most people, Josh, have said, you know, this this probably doesn't bode well for UNC playing football. There is a school of thought that the opposite is actually true, that this affords the players basically a bubble environment. Oh, yeah. No, I mean it- – if anything, this helps
0: UNC's chances of playing football. I mean, astronomically, and most schools should probably be following suit with this. And the, the big conflict that most schools are, you know, having right now, even if they don't want to admit it publicly is if they want to have college football, they have to admit that the athletes are special, that the athletes are different. They should be treated differently than every other student, which flies in the face of I don't know, basically a century of college athletics and everything that they've said about football players and that they are students first. And, you know, the term student athlete was created back in the sixties over some sort of like legal, uh, uh disputed, it doesn't really have any real meaning, but now it has been co-opted over the last 40 years to mean, well, they're students and then they're athletes and that, that the students should come first. Nobody's dismissing the fact that academics matter with these kids, but if you want to if you want to have a college football season, you need to right now admit if you're UNC or if you're just about any other school, you've got to take extra precautions and extra steps to protect these players. And UNC is not the only school in the country. <laughs> We've seen it at others. Uh, Alabama is one. There's been a handful of, uh, of others as well where kids are going to party, man. Like Kids are going to go to bars. They're going to go to restaurants. They're going go to go to apartments and townhouses and wherever else and the frat houses. That's where they're going to go. And they're not going to practice social distancing. They're not going to be wearing masks everywhere they go. They're not going to do the things that they're being told to do. And if that happens, the numbers are inevitably going to rise at some of these campuses. And it could put some players in harm's way. It could put people on the rest of campus in harm's way. And it's going to hurt the chances to play college football. So unless these schools and and these conferences can admit, you know what? We need these players because of the money they make for the school. Then there's going to be a problem. But UNC is, is moving forward on a a very very cleverly worded uh very cleverly worded clause on who can stay on campus. It's keeping the athletes there for now.
2: Yeah. I I just don't think it's the gotcha moment uh, for, for the, the power five. I definitely think if the NCAA had power in this matter and they were trying to enforce it, the NCAA has always been more rigid to me than, than schools are. I mean, we've heard coaches, we've heard, you know, different athletic directors talking about things like name image and name, image and likeness and the desire to see players compensated in some form or fashion. So seeing as how, it feels like even though the NCAA has dragged their feet, the the Power Five football conferences, uh, it, it, as they try to eventually break off from the NCAA, I mean, it feels like you're moving in this direction anyways, right? Moving in what direction? That In terms of name, image, and
0: likeness. Oh, that, n- not at all. Bubba Cunningham a month a month ago wrote an extensive letter saying that it was a bad idea.
2: I mean, Carolina's been It's still going to happen, right? Uh,
0: yeah, but, but Carolina – I mean, it's. I think it's actually interesting that UNC is the school in question here because their AD, Kevin White at Duke, said something similar. I mean, Bubba Cunningham is five years too late to the party, but – tried to fight the idea that these players should should be allowed to capitalize on name image and likeness which is a separate conversation from the one that we're having today but you know UNC has been one of the schools that's that's pushed back on giving these athletes more freedom and control and recognizing that they have more earning power or or generate money for the schools and that they their uh you know their importance goes beyond simply being students and going to class it's I, I, they're they are between a rock and a hard place right now. College athletics, if if because you, you'd also don't want to. I believe. I know some people have argued that you want to call these guys employees, right? Oh, you know uh, the Pac-12 players united. of the revenue, which was always a joke, but there are some people who have said, you know what? Good for the players. Let's fight for their cause. Let's, let's, let's get them paid. They generate all this money. They deserve to get paid. If you made athletes employees, you would solve this problem because you could say, Hey, they're, they're employees of the university. We're going to keep them on campus. We're going to send the other students away, but we're going to keep the football players here because they're different than the regular students. But by doing that, if you were to ever do that and and recognize football players or any other athlete as an employee, you are opening up Title IX concerns. You're opening up revenue concerns, and it it, it opens an entirely different can of worms that I don't think anybody wants to really open. So that's where the the friction comes in in this conversation is – you got student athletes that you're you're recognizing as amateurs, and you're trying to preserve that amateurism uh, by you know not being more transparent or public about the fact that you need them to make money. But yet now you're kind of stuck because what are you? The, the the phrase that UNC put here: residents who have hardships, such as lack of access to reliable internet access, international students, or student athletes, will have the option to remain on campus. I'm sorry, but uh, is student athlete a hardship? No. So UNC very clearly has just thrown in the word student athletes into this very bizarre loophole so that they can keep the kids on campus and get away with it uh, without someone pointing the finger at them and exposing what's, what's really happening here, which yeah. <laughs> I think it's clear.
2: I think it, I, I just have always felt like the the, the loosening of the term amateurism was going to need to happen eventually. So this feels like a natural moment. And again, I I, I see it all in the, the bigger prism of just breaking away from from the NCAA even knowing that things aren't as simple as you break away from the the power five breaks away from the NCAA and all the problems are gone we've also heard though from Mac Brown uh who said uh today that uh well the decision to to play or not isn't his. Uh, he obviously said he's got enough on his plate, but he said he's also confident they're going to kick off as scheduled on September 12th versus Syracuse and he did make the point that you know that they had a a spirited morning practice today that his players see a great chance that we're going to play.
0: Which is which is good for them. They're moving forward. I, I hope that they play college football, and I, I want to be clear too. I mean, all the things that I'm pointing out here are problems that you know have exi- have existed for a while with with college football and college athletics. It's just just someone needs to say it. That's all. I just want someone to say and it doesn't it doesn't need to be Mac Brown. I would love for it to be John Swafford. I would love for it to be Bubba Cunningham. I would love for it to be someone who actually has power in saying the matter. What if they
2: say it with their actions? Cuz is it I mean if they if they go forward with the season isn't that just essentially what they're saying with their actions?
0: Well, yes and no. I mean, I think there's liability concerns that you have to Consider here. I mean, you're keeping kids on campus that are student athletes, but you're telling every other student they have to go back. I mean, you're kind of saying it through your actions, but you also, I think, open yourself up to some, you know, l- legal entanglements by doing that. That, that, that. That's the big question here is, you know, you had the Players United uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, which exposed a lot of this is, and the Big Ten United uh, as well, where, you know, students want rights right they 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 want uh insurance they want medical coverage they want uh some want the uh, to the covid waiver to go away Justin Fields the Big 10 quarterback at Ohio State wants a covid waiver back and other players have backed that but they want to be able to have a voice at the table well if you have a voice at the table and you want to collectively bargain you know, the, the, the standards of, of which you're playing, then they should be treated as employees. You can't just, you can't just let these guys play and not give them really a say. I mean, yes, a lot of them want to play and you can opt out, but they're, it, it's very much more complicated than that. That's all. And yes, th- what this, this whole pandemic has done has opened up uh, and exposed the, the, the the, the the idea that amateurism should still exist in college football, and that, that college football is somehow, they've tried for years to, to equate it with every other sport on campus, and it's just not. It, it is so much more important to the bottom line of these universities, which is why a lot of these schools are continuing to try to go forward, which they should for the time being, but allowing kids back on campus was going to make it that much harder, if not impossible, to play, and UNC's found that out. I mean, there's, a, there's the other side of this, which, this is a sports show, so we don't have to get into it, but the fact that UNC took these kids' tuition and all of this money from these kids and then 2 days later is like oh bet sorry it turns out it's actually not safe for you to be on campus so uh, you're you're going to take all your classes online but you can still live here is another conversation all in and it of itself but p- keeping the student athletes on campus is it is what it is it's it's clearly an attempt for them to save a lot of money make a lot of money that they otherwise would lose
2: it's it's just interesting that that this is probably the best thing not just for UNC but eventually for the other Other schools that want to play this summer or want to play this fall or even maybe potentially in the spring, that that remote learning occurs outside of football, but that in some ways there's an acceptance there that then makes the rest of the process more difficult uh, in terms of keeping amateurism or trying to enforce the idea of amateurism. All Texas Hours, uh, courtesy of the Building Center, all tweets this hour, courtesy of of Diamonds Direct, and of course we're, we're starting with the idea here that uh, North Carolina, UNC, going to uh, all undergraduate courses, uh, moving to online and remote learning after the uh, the breakout, in the breakouts of coronavirus on campus there. Uh, should UNC still be playing football this fall? We've got well actually coming up in 35 minutes here on the show. Uh, there's one person in particular And believe it or not, it's in baseball that I have to clap back on after a pretty embarrassing scenario broke out yesterday. It wasn't the scenario that was embarrassing. It was the reaction to the scenario that was most embarrassing. But we are starting with college football today. Should UNC still play after the recent developments on the UNC campus? And it's time to get excited about college football. Or is it? Sports Radio FNZ right here with Wilson and Parcell.
0: FNZ. Get your opinions raw every day. Listen to the Mac Attack anywhere on the radio.com app.
2: This is Sports Radio FNZ. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. The SEC released its schedule, and I feel nothing, Josh. You, you they, okay. No, they they released their fall schedule for football. And uh, emotionally, I'm just dead inside over this whole thing. Why is that? Because uh, predominantly last week, but also like two weeks ago, we were we were we were getting excited, right? We we talked about when Ohio State and Michigan would play. We got we got antsy about a uh, different matchups in the ACC and here this that and the other. And then uh, you know, forty percent of the Power Five conference went away.
0: Yeah, I mean, thankfully, you know, so the SEC announces its schedule. They're being, I think, the most prudent of all the conferences right now about just being patient and letting the, the virus play its course. You know, the schedule that they released last night, they don't play a game until September 26th. They got time. Uh, now they didn't build in a lot of wiggle room once the schedule starts. There's really only a, a week that they could move things around uh, because they've delayed the started, or rather, they've they've given themselves the ability to delay the SEC championship game. But you know, I I I don't know if we're going to have a season. I've I've told people before. I think I've said it on this show. I think I'm about. 15% right now confident that we finish the college football season
2: is that closer to being Some, 16% or closer to being 14% You know that's up for you to decide you okay. can
0: round up or round down depends on how you're feeling today but i think that um it's it's at least positive that the SEC is still moving forward now what i hope doesn't happen is that the SEC after releasing its schedule Five days later decides that they're just going to cancel the season on a whim over some vague terminology like safety and health. But not we're not really going to explain why we did it. And we're not going to tell you why we released the schedule. But we changed our minds, even though we built in, you know, a couple of weeks of wiggle room to see how the virus is uh, has, has changed over the next few weeks. We call that the Kevin Warren. Yeah, it's, it's the whole Big Ten, man. It's, it's, I don't understand it, but. Uh, we'll see, man. We'll see what happens with the SEC. It's—I I don't think anybody should, at this point, take—and—and and Greg Sankey has said it himself, the commissioner. You know, just because we're releasing the schedule doesn't mean we're going to play. I think everybody should realize that. But uh, the SEC at least has a plan, as does the ACC and the Big Twelve and it's an exciting looking schedule i mean it's it's a weird year it's unusual but to see 10 sec games it's it's going to be if we if we're actually able to have it if we are it's a huge caveat but if we are it'd be a heck of a season it'd be a fun season to watch different than anything we've ever seen before
2: you know hypothetically there's some games on on these lists here that i'm pretty I, I would hypothetically be very excited about like i'm not right now Because I have no idea if they can play. But hypothetically speaking, Florida versus Georgia in Jacksonville on November 7th, Might end up being one of the best games on the schedule here, given what Florida has done and and who Georgia has been the past few years, hypothetically speaking, this year.
0: (laughs) Gotcha. Uh, Yeah, there's a bunch of great games on this schedule. I mean, there's some that we were going to get already. I mean, you know, you're going to get Bama LSU. You're going to get Florida, Georgia. Hypothetically. You're going to get the... Well, I just mean any other year oh, I got uh, in the iron bowl. You're going to get uh, Auburn, Alabama, but you know, uh, th- a handful of the games that we've added is going to make for some excitement. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, Florida and a and M I'm looking forward to seeing Florida and LSU. I'm looking forward to seeing some of these cross divisional games that we don't necessarily get very often. So it's going to be an exciting schedule. And what's going to be unique about this schedule is the fact that, if we have a playoff, I uh, there, there's a chance you have like an eight and two team could be top five. I mean, you, you know, it's just funny to think like an eight win team normally in college football. That's, that's a borderline top 25 team. Now you win eight games. You're probably ranked eighth in the country and against some of the schedules that these teams have to face. It's, it's an absolute gauntlet. I mean, look, Alabama, they added, I, I think they added with Kentucky and uh, Missouri, I think were the two teams they added to their schedule. So it's not like they added the, the powerhouses of the other division, but, uh, you know, it, either way. It's still the playing ten SEC games instead of getting an FCS opponent thrown in there. Maybe a group of five opponent thrown in at the beginning of the season. You hit the ground running in the SEC, and it's going that that's gonna be. You know, Reese Davis. I heard the morning guys talking about or uh, uh, Kyle talking about this earlier. But you know, Reese Davis said the SEC should stick with ten games for for good, not just this season, but let's run it back every single year. Ten SEC games play a uh, play one power five opponent as a non-conference, which for most of these schools would be a rival, and then play a group of five or an FCS team for your 12th game and make that the schedule. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's an interesting concept
2: there are no easy schedules in this. Like there are, there are some that I think are slightly more favorable than others. Like I look hypothetically again at Florida's and Florida gets A&M on the road week three, they've got LSU at home week four. I, I, I don't think we should fear LSU the same way we did last year, but, but again, that's, that's a good matchup and you get it at home. Then you're neutral in Jacksonville with Georgia week seven, and then you finish the season with with Tennessee there so you avoid Bama and and being able to get LSU at home in Georgia on on the neutral which I think it's going to be that's if they did have a crowd that would be an equal crowd considering how close it is to Atlanta versus how close it is uh to to Florida's campus I I tend I really like I mean listen you and I have both been pretty bullish on the Florida Gators going into this hypothetical season but I like the way their schedule sets up Really? I, I I thought I
0: look at Florida as one of the toughest schedules. I, I think the Gators have a tough road. I mean, Tennessee is going to be a fringe top 25 team. Florida will be favored, but the Vols bring a lot back. And I don't think that it matters that they're going into Neyland Stadium because I can't imagine there's going to be a, a crowd that makes a difference in a game like that. But, you know, traveling to Knoxville is... Not at not the game that it's been the last few years. I think this is the best Tennessee team they've had in probably about six or seven years. Uh, and then, you know, you you said LSU. I mean, LSU is a top eight team in America. They did just lose Kerry Vinson, who opted out. They've lost two defensive starters to opting out. But LSU still has top 10 talent in the country, even without Joe Burrow, even without some of the other guys, they have the best group of receivers in the country. They've got a great offensive line. LSU is loaded. Um, You know, they also have, you mentioned Georgia. That's going to be a battle as it is every single year. Georgia is another team that should be in the top 10. And if they can figure out their woes offensively, the defense is one of the three best in America. So I think Florida has got a really tough road, but I like their team and I like Kyle Trask and I like, uh, uh, Kyle Pitts, the tight end, I think that they've got a lot of talent, but I think the schedule is really difficult for them. And this is where I think the separation of divisions could be challenging in a sense, because I think so. i well, actually, I take that back because I, I, I'm confusing the ACC and the SEC. So the SEC, to my knowledge, is still keeping divisions, which might help Florida in this case, because I think the East is a little bit easier than the West. But you know, having LSU on the other side of the division, having Texas A and M, which is a team with top fifteen talent, it's a challenging schedule for the Gators.
2: Well, I mean, they're all like Bama plays five of the uh, the best teams in the uh, the SEC. Well, that's, but like, that's because they're in the West. Well, but 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 you have Florida; they they play four, and one of them. I would much rather have LSU at home, and A and M and Tennessee on the road, uh, far apart on the schedule, than I would playing. LSU on the road traveling to that game and then getting AM in Tennessee at home.
0: Ordinarily in a regular season, sure. I mean, when you're looking at st- stands that are probably going to be. At the very most, 50% full, it probably doesn't make that much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. And there's travel involved with it, and we'll see how much of an advantage it really gives these home teams. But yeah, I mean, Florida's schedule is is objectively harder than than most in the SEC East. Now, Georgia does have Alabama, and that that's going to be a big-time showdown because, as I mentioned, Georgia's got a couple of guys at quarterback that if either one of them live up to the billing of, of you know what we expect to see from them, Georgia's going to be pretty good. I like I like the team that Georgia has. The receivers last year were young. They all come back. Uh the offensive line is good despite the loss of Andrew Thomas. Defense brings back just about everybody. Uh, they just need to figure out the offense. Last year Jake Fromm and that offense couldn't get couldn't get it going most of the year. We saw that cost them in some big games. South Carolina, they couldn't move the ball. They lost in that game. A uh, handful of others where they struggled to score. Uh, I think about the Notre Dame game uh, where they uh you know struggled. So for Georgia it's about Figuring out quarterback, you got JT Daniels, you got Jamie Newman, if they can beat Alabama, all of a sudden Georgia becomes a national championship contender, especially in a year where there's two conferences that are out of the mix. So, yeah. So what
2: other, so I've said, I like the Florida schedule. Uh, What what other schedules do you think here are going to be tough in the SEC?
0: Well, I think LSU schedule is brutal. I mean, you mentioned the, the Florida game. That's a tough game for both sides uh, and LSU, of course, being in the SEC West, it's going to be tough, but drawing Florida from the other side, I mean, Tennessee got absolutely rocked by this schedule. I mean, the Vols have to play Auburn. They have to play Alabama. They've got to play some of the powers in the SEC West. Uh, and for a team that felt like this was a year where they could take a step forward, you know, the Vols are, I, I think this is a five and five schedule and it's a weird year, so I don't know how people are going to react to that. Vols fans are never going to take five hundred and be happy with it. But tennis, Tennessee got the worst draw out of any team in this conference as a team that thought it was, you know, it had a chance to maybe be an upstart surprise team in the conference, and instead, you know, they're going to play just about all the best teams in the league on either side of the division. That's a tough draw for a, for a team with a
2: lot of hope this year. Hypothetically, I'm very excited about this. I can tell I am, <laughs> you, 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 you're really it's the passion is oozing through. I am. I'm ready for some college football. Uh, you know, uh, Hank Williams jr. Used to shout. Are you ready for some football? I'm here to say hypothetically I am. Yeah. Well, whether or not we
0: have a season this year, I think about what Reeves Davis said and whether or not should they be, should they play 10 conference games every single season? I actually like the idea in principle um, for majority of these conferences because I think moving forward, first of all, I think the future of college football could end up looking radically different where there may not even be a real SEC or there's four super conferences and they break from the NCAA and it's just an entirely different world. But if we just keep the structure we have now, I think the, the, the essence of college football is the regional nature of the sport. And being able to play these regional rivalries more often, right? Like Georgia and Alabama, they play once, maybe twice a decade, right? I mean, I've I've said this before on the show, but had Alabama played USC this year, which they're 3000 miles apart, they would have played two games in less amount of time than Alabama had would have played Georgia twice, And that's crazy. So I think by expanding the conference schedule, you know, you would get more of those games more often, which is going to have more interest regionally. It could arguably have more interest nationally, but you still give yourself the flexibility to play that one non-conference game so that Alabama can go play Michigan or can go play USC or Wisconsin or the types of schools that they've played in the past, or that a school like North Carolina can go play Auburn or can go play Central Florida, whatever that might be. Um, You would give yourself that one game that's more of a made for TV event so you can get those national cross regional games but i think for a sport that is that is losing uh, attendance every single year. I think having more games that are closer together in proximity would help It'll alleviate costs too, for schools that are trying to, to, to eliminate some of the costs as they're losing money right now. So that's a big thing. And think about, you know, schools like Appalachian state, East Carolina, Charlotte, even those smaller schools getting, uh, I think the, I love the fact that Appalachian state is playing Charlotte this year. I think we need more regional games in college football. Uh, it, it's imperative, I think to the future of the sport, both at the top level with the sec and the power conference, and also when you get down to the group of five level as well.
2: Yeah, I think more importantly with the the whole idea of 10 conference games is it just helps avoid the cupcakes. I I just don't think those games – I understand that there's a very real financial incentive and that that can't be dismissed here, which is kind of what I'm uh, unintentionally doing – I would just rather watch good games on and 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 by the way when I say good games I mean more competitive games. That doesn't mean that's going to happen across the board, but if it offers me 5 more competitive games a year in a conference I'll take that trade off, even though, again, I know that there's a financial component to this that has nothing to do with me, but is very important for college athletics. Well, and that's why I think that they need to keep at
0: least one or two games on the schedule every year that are for the group of five and for the FCS, because those million dollar checks or $1.5 million checks that go to places like, you know, Charlotte or go to places like. App State or wherever, or even smaller schools. I mean, I love what Dabo Swinney does with the South Carolina FCS schools. It it keeps those programs afloat. It gives kids an educational opportunity. I think there's a there, there's a happy medium that you can find, and I tend to I
2: tend to agree with Reese Davis that a ten game schedule could be the best of both worlds. So we've got the SEC schedule. It's out. Hypothetically, how excited are you about the SEC schedule? And you don't take fun things and turn them into bleep. That's what happened last night. Sports Radio FNZ. Sports Radio FNZ.
0: All you need to know, the best sports knowledge resides right here. Listen to the Mac Attack anywhere on the radio.com app.
2: This is Sports Radio FNZ. Radio FNC. Welcome back to Wilson and Parcel. I'm still Nick. He's still Josh. And uh, while we are in the midst and while we have been in the midst of talking hypothetically about an SEC season, there was something that in all actuality pissed me off, Josh. And this is where we begin. Well, actually today, let's
0: do it. Uh, So last night there was a Padres baseball game. It, it. It happened and Fernando Tatis hit a grand slam and apparently that was a problem. Probably starts with just you know p- picking up the sign. I think like the, the the learning opportunity, and and just so you know, uh, a lot of our guys have green light, you know, for Rio. But you know, in this game in particular, um, you know, we we had a, a, a little bit of a comfortable lead. We're not trying to run up the score or anything like that. And so, uh, you know, put on the, the the take sign and probably probably see a strike right there.
2: Well, actually, Jace Tingler, if that is your real name, Padres manager, he did see a strike. He saw a strike there on a 3-0 count, he being Fernando Tatis Jr., he saw a strike right down the middle of the plate, which myself, Hacksaw, maybe even Josh could hit out of the friggin' park. Any of us could hit that ball out of the park. And... This idea that now Jace Tingler has called out Fernando Tatis Jr. for hitting a home run, which by the way, just so he knows, that's a good thing for his team, Jace. It's a good thing when your team hits home runs. When you score runs, it is a good thing for your team, Jace Tingler. Okay? So you don't call out, listen, I got Dusty Baker out here, who's one of the old school managers of baseball, defending his cheating ass Astros. He's lying through his teeth when he, get, when he expresses outrage about his guys getting plunked, because he knows in his heart as hearts that they friggin' deserve it. Dusty Baker's lying through his teeth, and you can't come out and say, yeah, he hit a home run, and then they plunked my guy. You should go talk to Chris Woodward Why my guy's getting home runs for my guy's doing what my guys should do. That's what should be the conversation here. Chris Woodward coming out afterwards saying, oh, I felt this violated the unwritten rules of baseball. Hey, Chris, there is no mercy rule in baseball, Right. Right, it, it is who can score the most amount, who can win the game. That's at the end. Whoever scores more wins. And by the way, the best part about this is you did see the Rangers go, come after this and still keep trying to score runs. It was in the eighth inning. The Padres had a seven-run lead. And by the way, seven-run leads have been lost in the eighth inning before. This was trash by Chris Woodward to have uh, Manny Machado thrown at one pitch after Fernando Tatis Jr. And it was trash by Jace Tingler, who, again, I'm not sure is a real person, to not defend his guy. This was trash all around. Guys hit home runs, and if somebody's going to be dumb enough to groove a 3-0 fastball down the center of the plate, then I don't give a damn if it's Nolan Ryan, Bob Gibson, or the good Lord himself. That ball should be taken yard, because anybody should be able to hit that pitch. Home runs are good. Baseball needs to accept that.
0: I, just, I just, Are you okay? Yeah, I'm a little bit okay. I just don't understand why people are getting upset about running up the score in a professional sporting event. Like, it's not, they're, they're not kindergartners. I mean, look, you want to mercy roll a seven-year-old kid? Fine. Like, that's fine. You get up 10 rinds, game's over. Whatever. But a seven-run lead in the eighth inning of a Major League Baseball game, and we're going to throw our arms up in the air and clutch our pearls over a guy going yard? Hey, what are we doing? And the fact that it's his own manager who's like, yeah, no, he shouldn't have done it. What? You, of course he should have done it. What are we talking about? Don't groove a pitch down the middle. This is silly. Well, it's just one of the reasons why baseball frustrates me is all these unwritten rules. I mean, some of them, I guess, have a place in the game. but. I mean, I, I'm so sick of unwritten rules being a story in baseball. You know what? A guy grooves your pitch down the middle. You're at the plate. You have the bat in your hands. Swing. You hit a home run? Good. Good for you. Run the
2: bases you scored. Here's the other part. Sometimes the 3-0 pitch, you have the green light on. Jace Tingler said that himself. So the idea that he missed a sign that that's fair to be plunked on, then you know what? If the Texas Rangers don't want that, uh, other guys to hit home runs, one, don't groove a fastball down the plate. Two, just surrender. Quit. If 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 other guys should stop scoring when they're up seven runs, then you should just forfeit the rest of the game. Just why even play nine innings at this point? If you want to be mercy ruled, if you want to be, if you want the game to be bush league, if you want it to be like we're seven year olds in a sandlot, then quit like seven year olds in a sandlot. I'm, I'm. There were two things that happened last night that had me pissed off. This was one of them. The other was what happened in in the the Dallas Clippers game, where with. With with the, with the Mavericks actually having the lead, uh, with about nine minutes to play in the third quarter, Chris Daps Porzingis, who had already picked up a pretty weak ass technical earlier in the game in the first half, picked up a uh, a second technical, which got him ejected from the game. That was a game that the the uh, Mavericks had a five point lead in. That Chris Daps Porzingis wasn't even being all that aggressive in either of the intera- interactions that swung the balance of the game. The the referees screwed up big last night.
0: Yeah. I don't know what was dumber, the outrage over the Tati's home run or the outrage by the referee over Przingis. If you're watching that game last night, Dallas and the Clippers, I as a game that Dallas could have won. That was a game that the Mavericks who as a seventh seed, absolutely need to get ahead in the series against a, a team like the Los Angeles Clippers. You put a one Oh lead on the board. You never know what can happen. That would have been a huge win for Dallas and to lose Prezingus, their second best player on a team that has very little in the way of depth. It's not like Dallas has other guys that can fill the role of Przingis. They don't. And to throw Przingis out of the game was absolutely nonsense. And you could hear it on the broadcast too. I mean, basically Doncic and Morris get into a tussle, Morris is the one who basically instigates the thing. Don just rips the ball away, and then you know Marcus Morris is or Markeef or Markeef Morris is coming out at it at um I can't remember which one is it. Can I do this all the time. One of the Morris time?
2: twins, I can tell you that.
0: Well, the other one's on the Lakers, which makes this even harder. <laughs> They're both in L.A. But uh, you know Morris Marquise is on the Lakers, so it is Marcus. All right, I was right the first time. So Marcus Morris. Uh, you know, essentially instigates this thing. Prazingis gets in the middle of it, but doesn't do anything dangerous. And and the referee's explanation, Steve Javi, who's the longtime NBA ref, who's now the Now the, I don't think he's awful. I just, no, no, no.
2: no. I mean, his, his explanation last night was awful.
0: Yeah. Well, his explanation was that Porzingis escalated it, which isn't true. Like, I don't know how you could look at what happened last night and say that Porzingis escalated the situation. If you put hands on a guy and you cock your fists and you continue to push at a guy, even though, you know, your coaches or your teammates are trying to take you away, that might be escalating it. But what Porzingis did last night is not escalating it. And in the NBA playoffs, when tensions are high and it can get chippy at times the playoffs, everybody knows that. As a referee, you have to have that common sense. You have to have the ability to police the game, to regulate the behavior without tossing guys out for very questionable technical fouls and you know the referees knew Porzingis had a T already on the board so one more sends him out and for them to send him out of the game that changes the course of the series not just the game the course of the series I thought it was despicable by the referees and I hate it for the Dallas Mavericks who who knows if they win the game or not but losing Porzingis absolutely crushed their chances last night after two and a half quarters of playing great basketball and having a lead on the Clippers they played so well last night and they deserved to finish that game at full strength
2: yeah okay so the difference here to me is tatis jr put his team up by more the other team didn't like it and they policed themselves but which which then left the umpires the ability to police the game further like throwing they could have thrown out the reliever they, they could have gone further which by the way they didn't see in this to me it was it was over policing the game uh, listen, it was it was a chippy game, but that wasn't the chippiest game we've even seen. That we'll even see in the playoffs. I, they they treated that as if Kristaps Porzingis had some sort of heinous offense previously in the game. He didn't. It was a bad first technical they gave him, and they swung this game. And we're going to be looking back at that game later in the series because I think last night did prove you saw that Dallas can hang with the Clippers. I don't know that they can can beat them in a series. But I don't know because we didn't get to see Chris Stapps in the second half of that game for the most part. I don't know how much the end of that game would have been different. I don't know if if that – I don't know how greatly improved the chances would have been. I think that the Mavericks were holding their own and they had a five-point lead. So we can say that game could have been closer if Chris Stapps was in the game. I, I that To me – the baseball thing's just annoying because it's stupid and it's why baseball's hurting itself. This could very real have an impact on the outcome of the series. And that to me, especially when it's not a player doing it, when it's the referees doing it, it's the worst possible scenario you could have.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there's no question that losing Perzingis hurts their chances, especially against the Clippers who don't have a ton of size. Perzingis creates a ton of ma- matchup problems for that front court in LA and not having Perzingis on the floor and having to replace those minutes with Michael kid Gilchrist and Trey uh, Burke having to, you know, go small. It's that's, that's a, that's a loss for the Mavericks. No question about it. But I also think it's worth mentioning even in a loss. It's funny. The Clippers win that game last night. And the two biggest stories are about Dallas losing Porzingis in a controversial way and Luka Doncic playing like a top five player in the league. Uh, Luka Doncic right now, I believe from a pure ability point, not, not as an athlete, and this is where LeBron separated himself, but as a pure basketball player, Luka Doncic is better at age 21 than LeBron James was. And now he he's not the athlete and he won't be the same player because LeBron's athleticism allowed him with his skills to become, in my estimation, the greatest basketball player who has ever walked onto a basketball court. But what Luka Doncic is doing right now at 21 years old in his first ever playoff game, dropping 42 on a team that has... Pat Beverly, an all NBA defensive point guard, the best defensive ball stopping point guard in the NBA that has Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, arguably the two best perimeter defenders in the NBA and able to go at those guys and score 42 points last night with nine assists and seven rebounds on about 60 percent shooting, 15 free throw attempts. Luka Doncic was marvelous last night, and it's a shame that they lost that game because watching him play. This kid's been doing this for three years, and it will it will always baffle me that teams passed up on him in the draft two years ago, specifically the Kings, who just fired their entire front office, probably because they passed on Luka Doncic, despite the fact that their GM was friends with Luka's dad and they had multiple international guys in the front office that, that you would think would appreciate Luka Doncic coming over from uh, from overseas. That it, it, it makes no sense whatsoever. I think Luka Doncic is already one of the 10 best players in the league. He's closing in on one of the five best players in the league and the Clippers have their hands full with him. It's just Luka doesn't have a ton else around him right now, particularly when Porzingis gets thrown out for no reason.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think uh, if the, if the Clippers are going to get, uh, or rather if the, the referees are going to throw Chris Stapps Porzingis out in every game, it's going to be a pretty nice sweep for the, the LA Clippers here. If we're going to continue this up, getting back to what you said about Luka though, also you saw him struggling very early in the game. He did he did leave his uh, his what is it? Right ankle was kind of bugging him at one point, but like early in the game you could see him trying to feel out the the Clippers' defense. And then he left the court and you kind of were wondering with the uh, the Clippers starting out with an 18 to 2 lead, what the hell was going to happen? And then all of a sudden Tim Hardaway hit a couple shots. That got uh, Chris Stapps going and then Luka just started to turn it on. And that, to me, is even more impressive when you consider the first six minutes of the game, where the hell was Luka, what the hell was Luka doing?
0: yeah that's the nba for you sometimes teams get on runs and, and dallas responded but luca was marvelous last night and whether they're, they're not going to win this series but as long as porzingis stays healthy and luca stays healthy that's as good of a one-two duo under the age of 25 as anybody in the nba and I, I don't know that i would take anybody else over them
2: what is what was the more objectionable point last night the actual uh, ejection of chris Tapp's porzingis or the outrage and uproar over Fernando Testis Jr.'s moonshot grand slam in the eighth inning, despite them being up 10-3 at the time. And last night was just the tip of the iceberg for Hornets fans, Sports Radio FNC.